Real people. Real opinions. Real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. The doll will have to vote before midnight tonight on a proposed increase in stamp duty for investment funds to deter them from gazumping first-time buyers. That's a word I haven't heard in a long time, by the way. Gazumping. It's, it's not, I thought gazumping was illegal in this country. I mean, the, this is according to the Irish Examiner. In what is technically a mini-budget, ministers will today approve measures that will seek to deter the limit and limit the ability of investment funds, or vulture funds as some people call them, from buying up large numbers of family homes in estates ahead of young families. Now, the Minister for just or for Finance, Pascal who is to table what has been described as a significant increase in stamp duty, which, as a financial resolution, requires an immediate vote in the doll, as would normally only happen on Budget Day. The Cabinet will also sign off on plans to ensure that up to 50% of future housing will be reserved for first-time buyers. <coughs> I don't know whether that's such a good idea or not. Anyway, to give me more information... <coughs> excuse me. Pardon me there, just got something caught me toes. To give me more information, it's Carl Dieter, who's a financial analyst at Yes.ie. Good afternoon to you, Carl. How are you now? Carl, now, I mean, I know there's a petition online telling people and telling ministers and TDs to vote in favour of this mm-hmm. and also in favour of a constitutional right to a home, etc., etc., etc. But you believe this is a bad idea. Well, it's just that... Okay, I should probably say, there's a lot of things in that petition and some of them are decent ideas and there's a lot of things in the Affordable Housing Bill and some of them are decent ideas. But the thing that keeps grabbing the headline is that we're not going to let funds buy houses. Cuckoo funds, as they uh, call them. Yeah. yeah. Cuckoo is like a made-up word, by the way. Just so well, I know, I know, I know that, yeah. <laughs> like, well, I mean, it's, it's a real word, but it's just it's, a, it's, it's something that was invented in the media to, to try and say that somehow people were being taken away the way a cuckoo would kick its natural bird out of the nest and, and go in and steal its place at the, you know, at the table. This is a bit weird because, like, the houses that are being bought, they're going to be given to families who are renting who might not be able to afford a house or might not want to buy a house. Not everybody wants to be a buyer. And so we have this strange fixation where it's like, oh, well, because we're all like, you know, well-educated middle-class people, of course you'd want to buy a house. And how dare someone come in and let those pesky renters start to live in our area. Like housing is housing. And if you're housing people, that's, that's a good thing. Yeah, but we mind. are hearing stories of them going up and buying half a housing estate or whatever it happens to be or a whole housing estate where there's young first-time buyers in the area who do have the money and who do have the, the you know the loan approval ready to go. And by uh, the time they get there, there's no houses left for them to buy. Yeah, okay. But, I mean, that doesn't mean that every second-hand house in that whole, you know, town isn't open to them either. And, and bear in mind, by the way, quite often the new houses nowadays are even more expensive because they're, they're higher quality, higher energy ratings, everything else. So there is actually a mismatch between the perception of what's happening and the reality. Now, someone might say, well, I can afford a nice house, and I, I bloody want one, and I want it to be brand new, and I can afford the brand new price. Well, that being the case, are they the folks that we should be pouring our hearts out for, or should we be thinking more about the people who are stuck in, in homelessness and very compressed housing? And while we're having this whole debate, which is slowing down housing delivery, we're not really thinking about them. So... But I mean, yeah. are these, I mean, when we talk, I mean, the word vulture fund is constantly used all the time. Investment funds is what they actually are. We Again, the media invented the word vulture fund. But are these nasty people? Because that's what the media is leading people to believe, that these are nasty people sitting in boardrooms somewhere making lots and lots of money off the backs of the poor Irishman who's working with his girlfriend or whatever it is trying to buy a house. 
Yeah, to an extent, that's right. You know, people who work for funds do tend to make a lot of money. So the people who work as accountants and are the top DJs on radio shows and all sorts of things. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so, and people you know, who have websites who financially analyze. But go yeah, on, look, yeah. I'm not, look, I'm not complaining, you know, but, but my point is there's lots of people everywhere who do well in life. And I wouldn't see that as being a bad thing. I think, you know, doing well is a good thing. The one thing that people in media don't get, and I don't know why it is that they don't bother, is go and actually speak to some of these funds. Speak to the companies. Find out what goes on. Speak to, you know, people who are involved that aren't out there trying to media whore the, uh, you know, the, the poverty grievance industry side of the story, which is that everything is miserable and everyone's going to die. And instead, like, I have a very different experience of funds because we've had clients that were fighting with the banks for a decade. Next of all, their loan gets sold to a fund and they think, oh, my God, this is it. Next of all, the fund turns around and offers them a deal that was way better than the bank and they can, they can shut up and move on. You know, I mean, I, I mean, will this... That never makes headlines, ever makes headlines. Okay, if we put a phenomenal amount of stamp duty uh, on these houses for the funds, and also we insist that they can only purchase up to 40, 50% of future housing, uh, that the rest must be reserved for first-time buyers, which I find strange, by the way, because not everybody's a first-time buyer. Some people are moving up to another it's, house. It's, again, it's very weird. Like, like I mean, I, no, I, I, no, no, I, I actually agree with you on that, because... I mean, it, I mean, some people are first-time buyers. Others are not. They're moving from uh, a three-bed house to a four-bed house because they've had yeah. a couple of kids extra. And, and then that three-bed house becomes available for the first-time buyers. So I don't mm-hmm. see the, the issue. I don't see why we have to label somebody and say, oh, we keep it for first-time <laughs> buyers. That doesn't make any sense to me. But anyway, but if they increase the stamp duty, is this going to affect the standard laws of supply and demand? In other words, if the investment companies are turned off or discouraged from buying property in Ireland, and these, a lot of these investment companies, of course, are not Irish. They're foreign investment companies. But if they're turned off, does that mean they're going to go somewhere else? Then we will have a lack of demand. Then the supply will drop. Yeah, you see, it's a really complicated relationship because there's some funds that come in here and they actually fund the, the development basically from the very start. And that's a good thing. I mean, that is, that's how, for instance, loads of social housing gets made for approved housing bodies. Like, it is absolutely, <clears throat> without a doubt, a fundamental good. Then there's ones who come in and they might say, look, there's built stock out there, there's stuff on the second-hand market, we need to get such a rate of return, go out and swamp up everything you can. And you'd say to yourself, well, they must be bad because they're not actually helping to build the houses, they're just taking the stuff that's out there, and then they're snapping it up. But when they snap it up, it sends out a signal to the rest of the market to start to supply more of whatever that good or service is because it remains scarce. Now, we have scarce housing in many instances anyway, so it's not like there's a shortage of scarcity. But what it does is it helps to ramp up the supply machine because every provider of this in the, in, who's out there, <clears throat> including, you know, the state, if, if they were selling stuff because the state, for instance, NAM is selling houses, and that's effectively non-governmental organization, um, they start to see these pricing signals, and so they start to, to, to bring more supply to the market too. And mm-hmm. the, the problem with trying to favor certain people is what you're saying in this instance is, if we know that, say, 20%, 30% of a house, housing estate has to go to social and affordable, that's fine. You know, we're making a decision that social and affordable deserve at least a third of whatever's made. You know, do they actually? I don't know. But if you believe that, or maybe you believe it's 100% or 10 but it's something. Um, if you say first-time buyers, though, deserve 50%, and it's only of kind of suburban housing because it's not the higher density stuff, yeah. what you're really saying is, if you want to be a middle-class member of society, go buy a house because we put all the, you know, 
the scallies and the scrotes into the high-density apartments. That's a very weird message. Secondly, is it then means that loads of people who aren't first-time buyers might not be able to get those homes. No, so that's what I'm saying, this. because, I mean, I, I'm assuming, I mean, you know the housing market better than I, but I'm assuming on any given day, if there's X amount of houses sold, half of those would be people who are moving up from a smaller house to, or just moving house well, to a, a different a good, area. A good number of them are. You see, it depends on the estate. Sometimes I mean, I mean what, percentage, what, what percentage on the average day of house purchasing would be first-time buyers? Do you know? Uh, of house purchasing, of all purchases, uh, you know, it's probably like one in five, but like there's loads of purchases that well, happen. But, okay, where, well then if you're saying it's one in five, 50% makes absolutely no sense whatsoever then. Well, no, what I'm saying is, it, it, but you see, it depends. Like if you had a new estate, for instance, in South Dublin with a house that are 700,000 euros, that's not really a first-time buyer thing. And if you make half of them that they have to be first-time buyers, then you're just going to have hyper-gentrification or turbo-gentrification because it's only first-time buyers who are like a couple who each earn 200,000 are going to be able to afford that. Most of the people who buy those homes will have sold a house and have a bit of yeah, have a decent deposit. Yeah. And, yeah. and so this Absolutely. is what I'm saying is that like when you start to demand the rules based on the buyer type, it's not even taken into account what the house is, where the house is, the value of the house. You're basically taking everything in society and you're throwing it out the door and saying, if you're not a first time buyer, you don't get the same rights and preferences. You can fight over this small little chunk that's left at the end. But think about Joe and Jane who bought like a one bed apartment together in the boom went into negative equity, been trying for ages to get out of it. They finally have enough equity that they can get out. They struggled, paid a deposit or saved up a deposit. And now they're looking to go in somewhere. And they're saying, wow, we're like generation locked in. And what about us? Like we had to go rent a different house and rent out our old house because we couldn't afford to move up. Because and we're, we're, we're not first-time buyers either. And we're not first-time buyers. Okay, so, so you believe they should vote against this tonight? I don't know. Look, politicians are just going to do what they do. Like, I, to be honest with you, I don't really care what politicians do anymore. <laughs> if I was to be dead honest with you, I've stopped paying attention to most of it because half the time it makes no sense. And I don't know whether to cry or scratch my head. <laughs> there is no making sense to a certain element within but, the... But there, the, the, the do, you, do you believe that political decisions nowadays are being led and said by social media and by... I mean, this, this of course, started with that housing estate in Maynooth, uh, which was bought up by, you know, an investment fund. And it all went all over social media, Twitter and Facebook and everywhere else. And that's where this all came from. So is, is public policy, I mean, when we look at everything, by the way, when we look at COVID, when we look at housing, when we look at, is public policy now being dictated by social media or a story on social media? I think to an extent it is because it's an instant feedback loop to politicians. In the past, they would have had to knock on doors or have people ring up being annoyed. Now it's not really an instant feedback group, is it? I mean, it's a group of people out of a large number of people who are whining, generally speaking. Not just in relation to this, by the way, but generally yeah, speaking. But, but, but that moves the, the, the needle on, you know, where the national conversation goes because so many people in radio and media are tuned into it. I mean, if, if you think about it, when is the last time, I'll put it this way, pick any politician and, and look up their Twitter or Facebook I just go on to anything and see if there's even a single positive thing there. I don't even know why the politicians go on social media because it's mostly just get berated on it. And abused, yeah. The the ideas that get put forward, I mean, the the petition today has six ideas. Mm -hmm. Um, One is to scrap investor tax breaks and scrap real estate investment trust um, tax. Now, I assume that they don't mean to scrap them paying tax. I think what they're saying is that they should have to pay tax. Investor tax breaks, like, even as a person in finance, I'd say, look, tax breaks should be the same for everybody, whether you're here 
whether you're a regular landlord or an institutional landlord, it should be uniform, level the playing field, great idea. But to scrap real estate investment trust tax, which is like a specific type of investment vehicle, that goes against international standards across the whole world. It would make us a complete outlier. They also want a ban on evictions. But it's not even thought out. This and they also want... Uh, off the back of a cornflakes box. Yeah, they also want a home to be enshrined in the Constitution. Whatever, look. <laughs> okay, well, look, Carl, we can talk about that again. Carl, I'm running out of time. Listen, it's lovely talking to you, Carl Dieter, financial analyst at yes.ie. Thanks very much indeed for joining us today. Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi-award winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic hit.